Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danziel. All I got to say is I hope you did not have to go through what happened at the Wells Fargo Center. The game was bad, but like we've said before on this podcast, I don't know what the attendance was like for Sheen Hall fans. Something tells me that there was a pretty good amount considering how they're not too far away from each other. Mm-hmm. But the worst place to be, right next to Villanova Loss, like Villanova Loss at number one, like right after that, Seton Hall fans in a game where the Pirates beat Nova. Second worst place to be. Try it! Yeah, it doesn't matter location. That was a real frustrating game on Saturday. And I got to say, thank God we have a little bit of cool down period in between games and episodes that we put out because, man, if we did a, like, <laughs> like a quick reaction to Saturday, we would have said, or at least I would have said a lot of things I might be regretting right now. But we, we've assessed the tape, watched the tape, <laughs> read over a couple articles, and yeah, it, it doesn't make it any better. But this was bad, and congrats to Seton Hall on winning their uh, Super Bowl. Uh, they get another one in a couple weeks, and they might even get one in the middle of March too. So congrats to them. I'm real happy for them. Yeah, between being right there the whole time, losing this first one against Seton Hall, now you got to eat the is Seton Hall a Final Four team narratives. Mm. Just like what happened in 2016 when they beat us in the Big East Tournament <laughs> Championship. It was like, oh, this team's going all the way. This is our year, blah, blah, blah. And now we got to go through that again. And unfortunately, it looks like we're going to get a little extra dose considering how it's only mid-February. But yeah, I was really glad that we had a cool-down period because I, I'm not going to lie. I was ready to hit you up. I was like, Chris, I know I'm in the middle of nowhere right now, but I watched that game and that was horrible. I might have to pull over on the side of the road. I might have to call you in. I might have to do a mobile hotspot or whatever and just get a podcast up because I could not believe what just happened. Yeah, it was a, it was one of those games. That's for <laughs> that's for damn sure. I, I can't even put it in the words right now because of just how annoying that game was. Because they, like you said, they were there the whole time. They even had a lead at half on a big time run. They were down ten initially. They come back. They're up four at half, and then like Seton Hall hits like two threes, and it was like, okay, let's just completely forget how to play. And then you're able to hang around, and then you let Sandro Mamukilashvili any and any hopes of winning that game. It wasn't even Miles Powell. Miles Powell was in foul trouble the entire game. You couldn't even take advantage of that. You couldn't have read it, wrote it up better in terms of for Villanova, in terms of a, a pregame script. You're like, oh, yeah, Miles Powell will be on the bench most of the time. Not a great shooting performance for him. Quincy McKnight doesn't really do all, all, do all that much. You, you, you would have taken that. Yeah. You would have thought Villanova would win by 20. No. And then you also add slow start, but was able to regroup, close out the first half strong, and then take the lead at half. Like you said, you would have thought that this is a nice recipe for success right here. Everything was playing to Nova's hands. Sure, you could say things about – I know people were complaining about the refs, this and that, but I was a little more upset with the finishing. I was a little more upset with the inability to take advantage of Miles Powell getting his butt glued to the bench, allowing Mabukeles really to be so effective in the second half. And what you could tip your hat off to him and give him credit, but when you have Shavar Reynolds, former walk-on, contributing some big-time buckets in the second half, and you can't capitalize on Miles Powell's absence, oh, and and the Miss Bunnies, it was Elmer Fudd, yeah. rabbit season, unable to get it, <laughs> unable to get it. This was kind of like the Creighton game where it just felt like a bunch of missed opportunities. You're hanging around, you're getting a little bit of the breaks toward the end, but uh, you just able aren't, aren't able to convert and. 
I am glad you brought up the refs, Eugene, because if we did this Saturday, that's that would have been <laughs> one of my main talking points. It's it but, usually is, you know, it's it's one of those emotional things. Yeah. You're upset with a loss. You first, one of the first people you go after are the refs. Oh yeah, they're the easiest target through sitting ducks. But uh, I but, thought they were horrible all around, for being honest. Dude, they were so bad. Like, especially I can't. I don't remember like the exact stretches, but there were just times where they just called everything. And I was lucky enough where I, I wasn't able to watch at home. I had to watch on my phone because uh, I was out and about. But I was able to sync up the Villanova radio broadcast with the Fox Sports broadcast. And uh, Whitey and Ryan Fanner were uh, absolutely ripping the refs for a good chunk of it. There was like a couple of plays where they basically were like, okay, that's a foul. But somehow there's no call. And then there was like a foul on Villanova, which was only called because they had just called it on Seton Hall. It was like a moving screen or something. There was a bunch of those. But at the end, yeah, you got you could have made a – Content or make the argument that there was a bunch of fouls with those attempted layups, but you got to hit those. And like that was what their ultimate downfall was that you couldn't hit the freaking layups. But I will say the one call that they did aggravate me is they didn't aggravate me that is that they didn't grant the Lesby time on that loose ball when they were down. I believe it was three or four points at the time, and that would have changed the whole complexion. But then they gave it a seat and hole on the jump ball, and then they had the foul, and which I didn't agree with either. But we'll get into that. But whatever, it's it's stupid. It was they blew it. They, they blew it themselves. It wasn't the rest fault. I think it was at some point last time we were on the air. I think I said, "Oh, Villanova doesn't really lose three games in a row like that. It hasn't really happened." And I don't know how I block. Actually, I do know how I blocked this out of my mind. But they actually lost three straight last year, and I would say that that stretch was probably way more frustrating than what's going on right now. I don't know if you blocked out like I did, but it started with the St. John's game collapse at Madison Square Garden that we were in attendance for, which mm-hmm. we blocked out of our mind. And yeah. then after that, it was the road losses to Georgetown and Xavier. And I think I remember the Xavier game being extra frustrating. I, they didn't hit any other shots or something like that in the second half. And we were just like, let's just go play basketball. This is this is not working out. <laughs> we're just wasting our time here. We're just getting angry. Let's let's just leave. And then we, and then we checked back on the score later. And I think they lost by like 10 or 12. And yeah. like, oh, God. But, yeah, and here we are, another three-game losing stretch. Doesn't happen too often, but this one, it hurt. It hurt. I mean, I know that this was a tough opponent. We definitely knew that this was going to be a tough game. While I wanted to use that safety blanket of being at home, and I know that the broadcasters love to just remind us about that. How oh many times did they bring up 94, Chris? How many times? About, about 94 times. It's freaking ridiculous. We got it. We understand. I didn't even – and the funny thing is no one even knew that was a stat until the broadcast. Actually, I shout out Mike Jacobs. He actually pointed that out right before the game. I think it was like oh. a day or two before. So let's look at the numbers here. Nova lost 70-64. to Seton Hall didn't hit a single shot for almost the final three minutes of action. They were led by Miles Powell, even though he was in foul trouble for most of the game and sat out halfway through the second half. He had 19 points. Sanjo Mabukelos really had 12 of his 17 points in the second half. And as you mentioned, Chris, he was a real killer in those key minutes with Powell off to the side. He also had eight boards. Quincy McKnight finished with 14 points and seven rebounds. Jared Roden coming in, nine points and 11 boards off the bench. Shavar Reynolds, seven points and four assists. And I thought he played pretty well against Gillespie. And then you look at the Nova side of things, Sadiq Bey. Solid game, 22 points, 4 of 6 from deep, 7 of 12 overall. Colin Gillespie had 12 points, only shot 4 of 14 with 6 rebounds and 4 assists. Jeremiah Robinson Earl grabbing, working hard in the boards there with 14 rebounds, but he only had 9 points and shot only 4 of 15 
had a little trouble going up against those Seton Hall bigs. And Jermaine Samuels, 10 points, 4 of 7 on the floor. And that's about it. Not too much anywhere else. I mean, you look at the bench. Justin Moore started. Cole Swider only supplied three points off the bench, but there wasn't too many bench minutes. Overall, you had 25 bench minutes spread across DCR, Slater, and Swider, which I'm not too surprised considering how we said before, like there's not really much bench production in terms of scoring or whatever you need for like a spark. But at the same time, I know people are going to complain about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I might even be one of those people, though. Like, Swider came in, he hit a three with his first shot, and then took another three, bricked it, took another shot, like, right after that, bricked it, and, like, was non-existent for the rest of the game. And I get it, but, like, I thought that three would get him going, and then he proceeds to miss his next two shots, and it's like, all right, well, I guess I guess this just isn't happening. And then, as you mentioned, Slater was pretty much a non-factor, mainly because of the fouls. I know he tried to guard Miles Powell, or he just tried to guard a few of the guys up, up top, and it, it just wasn't working out all that well. I thought he had some good defensive stands, but uh, for the most part, it looked like he was getting the eaten alive. And uh, JRE, yeah, he, he struggled, that's for sure. I mean, I know the, the rebounding number looks great with 14. I think he did all he could on the boards, but offensively, you, you got to hit some of those shots, man. Whitey and, and Fannin were like talking about it. They're like, oh, well, you know, he's open. They're just not falling. And I'm like, okay, sure, that's fine. But like at some point, you got to hit him. And he was open. All of his threes were pretty much open, it felt like. He had a lot of mid-range shots. And I feel like that would have opened up a lot of potential scoring chances for Villanova. Like, we saw it with Omari Spellman in the Final Four. And you're able to stretch out that floor. You basically negate any center and height advantage that they they had, that the other team has. And if he was able to do that, maybe maybe that happens. Maybe Gil and, and Mamu are maybe not playing as much. I, I, I don't know. I'm not single-handedly blaming him, but I feel like if he was able to hit a few shots, the whole game is completely, completely different. Jermaine Samuels kept Villanova in the game in the first five minutes. Seton Hall should have ran away with that game from start to finish. He put up 10 in the first first five, I believe it was, but didn't score after that. I would have liked to have seen him a little bit more involved, especially with Gillespie not having the greatest of days either. He didn't hit one three. I thought he was able to create. He had four assists. He did a few good things, but he just wasn't able to build off that performance in the last game against Butler. And uh, Sadiq Bey was really good. I, I'm just, I don't know. I, I really just don't you, know. you sound defeated. You sound I, defeated. I and that's, that's why. Like, just reading this over, I'm just like, how the heck did they, they blow this? Like, they should have won. <laughs> and that's what's probably the most aggravating. And I think that's the past three games they, against ranked teams, against probably the three best teams in the Big East. You can make an argument about Marquette. But three best teams in the Big East, not named Villanova. And you had an opportunity in every single one of them to legitimately win those games. And it just seems like, you know, a missed layup here, a missed shot there, a bad coaching decision here or there. And it's like, okay, I guess this, this isn't just going to happen. But I don't know. That's that. And it also felt like Seton Hall was hitting everything, too. Like, Miles Powell was taking his stupid threes and hitting them. Mamu had a stupid three and hit one. And it was just like, all right, I guess this is just going to happen the way it's going to happen. It always – that's the way Seton Hall operates. If they hit their, their long threes, they're going to run you off the floor. But if they don't, you have a shot. But when Roden's hitting threes and Mamu's hitting threes, it's not a recipe for success. One thing I want to bring up to you, and I know that you had explored this in the past, Villanova obviously got hot. And then we started thinking about, like, wow, this team is really starting to click. But the second half struggle is showing up once again. Villanova going cold offensively. They dipped to only 34% shooting percentage for the final 20 minutes. Only shot an 11 of 32 clip. Didn't do too badly outside of the slow start in the first half. But second half, it really 
you could really see and feel them cool off. And then on the Seton Hall side, Seton Hall ballooning to a 45.2% clip on the floor overall as a team, 6 of 12 from downtown in the second half, and 43 points in the second half, which is pretty solid, especially considering how Miles Powell was glued to the bench and didn't really get to do most of the damage in the second half. It was the other guys like Mamu, as we mentioned, Javar Reynolds, Jared Roden, Quincy McKnight had eight of his 14 points in the second half. Can't take advantage of the situation. I got to tell you, Chris, could this be a product of the lack of depth? Are we seeing starters run out of gas? Is that what's going on? I mean, we're here now in February. We're seeing that outside, unless it's wider or more, whoever's going to be on the bench, unless they heat up, it doesn't look like there's going to be much offensive production. So we see Jay leading with the starting five in situations like this. Do you feel like depth is going to be a concern moving forward? And it's to the point now where starters are getting worn down. It's not as bad as the Phil Booth, Air Pascal usage rate last year. But are you concerned about the minute distribution in terms of how much starters are getting and how much we're pushing and expecting them to produce? I'm not too concerned about the minute distribution right now. I don't really think that's the issue. And it, it might just be because this is a younger team and I expect these guys to you know, maybe stay through a whole season because they don't have as much mileage on their legs. That being said, the depth issue is a sincere and genuine concern. And as I was saying, I believe it was last episode, it's like when you're winning, all these problems kind of go away. You kind of forget all about it. But when they, you start to lose again, they start to rear their ugly head. And it's very apparent that it's only like five players for Villanova that have like any sort of scoring ability. And the bench guys are just specialists. Like DCR is a big guy defensive specialist who might get a a dunk every now and then Slater's a defensive specialist and doesn't really have all that much offensive uh, ability right now. I I still think he can develop into something useful, but right now it's not there. And Cole Swider is basically three pointers or nothing. And his three pointers aren't hit. So when you have only five guys that can produce at any sort of rate, which it's nice. Most teams don't have that, but it's not of the quality that we're kind of used to seeing from these teams where it's not the five, like 17, 18 is what I'm saying. It, it, they're very solid players, but it's not like the uber talented, like top notch players that we're used to seeing play. But they, there's still plenty of time for these guys to develop. They're still young. Like Jerry and Justin Moore are freshmen. Like Sadiq Bey, he might leave, but he's a sophomore. So it's not like the worst thing in the world. But right now, it is a significant issue. I will have to say that. It's one thing when you complain about minute distribution, but it's another thing when your bench clearly isn't really stepping up. I mean, I felt that Cole Swatter probably should have had more than five minutes. I know that he hit one three, but he was only one for three. I'm sure, granted, you probably questioned the defensive effort, but I felt that this was one that was mostly lost on the offensive end, especially with Powell gone. I mean, they allowed 11 points in about six possessions with Powell on the bench. That's, That's not good. No. Like you said, I I don't think it's going to change in terms of the situation. I know you said there are five scores. I would personally clump in Swider in that conversation. I'd say we have six that you can look look to for a bucket. Granted, him and more, they can be a little streaky at times. But I would say that there are six scores in this eight-man rotation. Yeah, I trust Justin more significantly more than than Swider right now, especially on the defensive end, too. Like, I know Justin Moore is not like some elite defender, but he still he still holds his own. Like, meanwhile, Cole Swider has been bullied the past like few weeks. Uh, the, and also with the slow starts, I don't even know what we could do about that. I, I don't even want to address it because I, I think we're at the point where we just have to accept that 
that is what it is. It is. <laughs> bad inbounding, slow starts, mm-hmm. shoot, shoot them up, sleep in the streets. Those are like three things you just got to live with. Yeah, I think so. The, the slow start definitely killed them, at least initially. But they were winning at half, so it's not like the worst thing in the world. They started off slow in the second half. That I'll give you. They allowed Seton Hall to go right down the court and hit two consecutive threes, and the next thing you knew, they were winning. And I don't think Villanova ever got the lead back after that. No, they um, didn't. Right. And then also, you kind of hinted at it before, 11 points and six possessions with Powell on the bench. That was all at the end of the game. That was kind of like the Butler game where they didn't get one stop, like all like last four minutes, all the last four minutes, all under the last timeout, uh, on the floor timeout. It felt like they just couldn't get that one big stop. Yes, this game was lost on offense, I agree. But the defense, especially in late-game situations these past two games, and even you can lump in the Creighton game too, has not been up to par and has significantly hurt this team. Like, Villanova was going shot for shot with Seton Hall. I feel like if they just got one stop, the whole game's completely different. But especially at the end. But you can't expect this offense to compete with the high-level offense of Seton Hall shot for shot. Maybe for a little stretch, but you got to eventually get a stop, and, and they couldn't. And then when they did, they got the rebound, but then Bay went down, missed the layup, and then they fouled. What is the ceiling of this team now, Chris? I mean, a few weeks ago we were talking second weekend, Sweet 16, Elite Eight. Now it's like, mm-hmm. oh, boy. Is it time to re- readdress the round of 32 conversation again? Uh, um, I mean, there's a lot of season left. I know we're in February, but there's a lot of season left. And you got you got Marquette coming up this week. That's a great opportunity to get another, I believe it'll be a quad one win. So, and then hopefully the NCAA gives you a favorable draw. I, I don't really know what the ceiling is right now because this is just such a game-to-game basis with this team, I feel like. This is such a hard team to get, put a finger on right now. I understand, like, a lot of people are saying this team's regressing and all, and you know what? Maybe they are. I kind of happen to agree with that. And there was some factors in there that would kind of suggest that this kind of regression would occur. But I, I don't think we're round the 64, round 32 material, but I also don't think they're Elite Eight and maybe one of the last teams standing from there. So maybe Sweet 16. But this, it's, I still think it's way too early to call. Well, I know you might think it's way too early, but I'm sure you saw the NCAA released its top 16 seeds. And although oh, yeah. this was right before the Saturday game, this was right before that, Villanova was right on the three line along with Seton Hall, and the Butler was there as a four seed. I'm sure you saw the top 16, but what were your thoughts on that? Villanova as a three seed was a little bit surprising. I thought they would have been on the four line or even on the five line. But the NCAA seems to really like the fact that Villanova has those quad wins racked up, especially in a good conference now. And also, they don't really have a bad loss. And I don't really think there'll be a potential for a bad loss the rest of the year, except for Temple. That can be a very bad loss. But it makes sense. I really didn't have a problem with it. Seeing Hall as a three and... They were 11th compared to Villanova's 12. That made sense to me. Uh, Seton Hall as the highest uh, Big East team made sense. And then Butler as the four seed in the East region as number 15. That was that was fine. I, I don't really – I can't really make an argument for Villanova over any of the teams on the two or the three line, but I saw some people were pretty aggravated at the fact that Duke's a two seed because their quad one wins aren't there yet. But it's like, this was the first week. I wouldn't get all up in arms about it. 
Yeah, I was also going to say, at the end of the day, this is just glorified bracketology. It's just a little progress report for how teams are looking with about a month, a month and a half to go before we start talking NCAA brackets and things like that and Selection Sunday. I think it's pretty fair. I wouldn't go too crazy or be too upset about it. I know that this might change a little bit because of the Sheen Hall loss. I don't know if that bumps it over down to a four. But like I said, it's, it's just glorified bracketology. Can't really lose too much sleep over this. It's going to change. I don't know how much it's going to shake up. I'd imagine not too much outside of this top 16. Mm. But don't go crazy over it. Yeah. Bigger fish to fry. Yeah, that's for sure. Like, focusing on what's on your schedule and who cares what they think right now. Win your games and then you'll put yourself in a position where you won't have to complain about what the NCAA does with you. Yes, exactly. So right before we move on to this Marquette game that's coming up tomorrow night, I just want to take a quick look at the polls. We have five Big East teams ranked in the top 25. Seen Hall at 10, Nova at 15, Marquette at 18, Butler is right there at 19, and Creighton is at 23. Chris, you look at this, You look at the rankings. Anything stick out to you? I thought Seen Hall would actually take a higher jump. I thought they would crack. I was a little surprised. Yeah, I thought they would get like a single-digit number there. Yeah, so that's a little shocking, but at 8, 9, 10, it's all interchangeable at that point. Uh, Penn State took a big jump up to 13. That's kind of weird. Uh, you're not really used to seeing them in any form of basketball poll. I know they've kind of been hanging around this year, but they're, they're getting up there now. And uh, Marquette cracked it, as you mentioned. They're number 18, so Villanova will have a perfect opportunity at home Please win a home game against the ranked team. I know they beat Kansas, but I'm just saying. Big East team. It would be nice. It would be a nice quality win. And also, Butler staying put, kind of weird. I guess the, the loss to Marquette and the win against Villanova kind of wash out. And I also thought Creighton was going to drop from the polls after their brutal loss to Providence, but they uh, held on with the win this weekend. Rutgers is fading. Please don't remind me. <laughs> Are we going to have to pour one out for them? Uh... Soon, soon. Probably once they once they rejoin DePaul outside of the others receiving votes section. <laughs> uh, well, they only have two, so it might not be too far off. <laughs> no, no. I, I hear that they're starting to panic. It was crazy because a couple weeks ago, people were asking me, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had a Rutgers-Seton Hall battle to go into the Sweet 16? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ask me any other college basketball question. Just not that. <laughs> <laughs> Most irrelevant team in basketball for the past, I don't know how many years, and Seahawks. Don't want to touch that. <laughs> so Marquette's coming to town, and remember what happened last time Marquette came to Pennsylvania. It was the emergence of big game Jermaine, or as Fred Rung likes to say, Germania. The Golden Eagles are currently 17-6. and six. As you mentioned, they moved up, and they are now back in the top 25. They recently are on a three-game winning streak, outlasting Xavier in double overtime, beating DePaul, and beating Butler by double digits. Chris, we lost to this team last time. We know who to watch out for. We know Marcus Howard, obviously. But I think you didn't let me go off on this last time, but... I'd like to see what these Golden Eagles are made of when they don't have home cooking. I'd like to see what it's like. I know we can't complain about the refs, but I'm sorry. But if Marcus Howard is going to kill you from the free throw line and not anything else, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be upset. Yeah, I think uh, all Nova Nation would be pretty upset with that. But, uh, Eugene, they, they seem to be doing all right on the road, especially in Big East play. They beat Georgetown. 
They beat Xavier, as you mentioned, in double overtime. And they gave Butler a run for their money in overtime in a game they really should have won if they weren't giant idiots down the stretch. So maybe they aren't as vulnerable on the road this year. We'll see. We'll see. Because Villanova needs to turn it around. If if this movie streak stretches to four. It's a problem. I'm going to be scared. I'm going to be scared. Yes. Three games at home, too, nonetheless. I keep saying it. Like You got to win at home to at least hold serve in this conference. Because as we mentioned throughout basically every episode, the winning on the road this year is uh, borderline impossible. You got to win these games at home. And this is a great opportunity. Number 18 in the country coming into your place. You're on a three-game losing streak. The tough, this will end the toughest stretch of the year, in my opinion. And you cannot go over four. That just does not bode well for March. It does not bode well at all for seeding and, and all the other extraneous stuff that goes along with it. You got to take care of business Wednesday night. You have to. And Am I going to call this a must win? Maybe. Are, are you willing? Are you willing to call it a must win, Eugene? I call it a must win for my sanity, yeah. Yeah, for the fan base, yeah. That's for sure. For the team's sake, I, I would think so too, because then you got to go on a little bit of a road trip. Who the heck knows what happens on the road? This is uh, no slouch to the team. We all saw what happened last time out against Marquette. Villanova got absolutely blitzed from the get-go and stood no chance. This time at home, who knows? Marquette hasn't won at Villanova in I don't know how long. And I'm sure it's not 1994. I'm pretty sure it's not 1994. But I'm sure whatever broadcast has it will remind us a million times once Marquette takes a five-point lead in the first five minutes. So. Just just please win. <laughs> All I got to say is Marcus Howard, Kobe McEwen combined for 22 of 25 at the free throw line. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Um, oh, oh, better not. And Villanova better not get to the free throw line only five times. They better get to the free throw line a lot more than that. Yes, and they also better hit their layups and play better defense. And at least I, I'm expecting a slow start. It's uh-huh. what, what it is. So hopefully it's not too big of a hole like last time. Right, yeah, because they once they fell in that hole, they tried to shoot their way out of it, and it did not work. Going nine to thirty-eight from beyond the arc, that was uh, not good. And they also turned the ball over thirteen times. They got to clean it up a little bit. Uh, obviously, this was a long time ago. It was only really a month ago, but it feels like a long time ago. Lots has changed since then, but you can't replicate that performance, or else you'll you'll get absolutely destroyed again. Yeah, obviously, Marcus Howard is a guy to watch. Kobe McEwen, he destroyed Nova for a twenty-two point game last time out. Went ice cold after that. Didn't really do much. But as of late, he's really started to pick it back up again. He's hit double figures in each of the last five games. He's starting to knock down some threes as well. So I think this is a guy who's, you know, torched Nova last time. Starting to pick up his groove again. Will definitely be a nice added punch for Marcus Howard, who's obviously going to dominate most of the attention. But I also want to point out, going into this game, keep an eye out for Brendan Bailey. He's a guy who delayed his admission to Marquette for a two-year mission trip. I forgot what he did. I think he was somewhere in Utah. But once he came, didn't really do much last year. He was kind of finding his footing. This year, he was an okay start. He didn't really do anything against Villanova. He only had two points the last time out. But his offensive rating is off the charts in terms of efficiency during conference play. He has actually the third highest offensive efficiency out of all players in the Big East. This guy's been playing well. He's been doing his job. He's been carving out a role for himself. He's been rewarded with many, many minutes over the last four games. So he could be a guy that can potentially be a problem after not really doing anything against Nova last time. In fact, he was kind of a no-show. Just had two points through 30 minutes of action. Only took three shots. So he he could be a guy to keep an eye out for. And, of course, 
Hammerhead, Theo John. <laughs> I was going to mention him if you didn't. I was going to mention him if you didn't. He's been relatively quiet. Uh, hasn't really caused any problems amongst the other teams. So yeah, because you know, you know, that's that's because he got put in check last year in the Big East tournament <laughs> semis. That that is true. Yeah, Seton Hall did uh, ruin him. It, it seems like. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. You know, I, look. I know Seton Hall. You know, I, I do like Miles Powell as a player, but that game last year in the Big East tournament semifinals, probably the the one time I rooted for them a little bit, just a little bit, just a, just a tad. No, I was all. I was full blown Marquette there. Oh yeah, Chris, <laughs> Chris was ready to see Malice at the Palace. Yes, I was. <laughs> Chris was like, "Yes, all of you get ejected. Yes, yes. <laughs> Come on, pick up the chair. You know you want to. Show him who's boss." I would have loved for a WWE matchup to break out there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Been all worth it. Uh, you kind of highlighted Brendan Bailey. I kind of want to highlight Sakar Anim. Uh, in last year's Villanova Marquette game at Marquette, he torched Villanova, and I, I don't really think he did all that much in the last game. He only had six, so relatively quiet, but he was three of six from the field, and he really didn't have to do much because, as we, you mentioned earlier, Marcus Howard and Kobe McEwen were going absolutely off. So I wonder if McEwen will take a back seat this time because I don't really think he's really the secondary option for Marquette. I really believe it's more Anum, but I wonder if Anum's the one to step up this time and maybe take that Q and roll that they had last game, especially if Marcus Howard were to have a semi-off game like he did last time. It was at this point last year when Sakar Anum started to kind of pick himself up and start really getting himself going, finished out the year strong. This time around, he's coming in a little cold. He only had 12 points over the last two games, but right before that, he had a string of 20-point games. So it's very possible that he starts to pick it up, especially against a big opponent like Nova. Even though we're cold right now, even though we lost three straight games, we still got the target on our back. There's a lot of teams that just want to do revenge over the last five years, six years of Big East action. They're going for it. They're taking their shots. They're going for it. I mean, that was pretty evident with Seton Hall. They certainly wanted it. That They wanted every part of revenge. And, oh, well, uh, I mean, I would too if, you know, it was my national championship, Super Bowl, World Olympics, <laughs> all in one. Oh, that's yeah, that's true. They were they were really acting like it too. They're acting like it was Big East final. Yeah, I heard they closed down the street right by the Prudential Center for a little parade. (laughs) Yeah, from uh, those parking garages all the way to the uh, the arena there. I don't know what to expect from from Marquette. They are so hot and cold. You look at their schedule. They're winning against teams that you wouldn't think they would win against. Like you wouldn't have thought they would go out against Butler and destroy them by nineteen. But also, you wouldn't think they would lose to Providence at home in overtime. I don't know which team you're going to get. I hope it's the bad one. But I want a challenge, obviously, to, despite the losing streak. Just whatever Marquette team you get, just, just lock down defensively, please. Please. <laughs> I want to see a good defensive effort. Uh, not that the defense hasn't been all there, but I, I want to see you a, a lock down. I want to see Marcus Howard get frustrated. I want to see all the secondary options become obsolete. I know Marquette's going to score. They're 16th in Kempom in offense, but Villanova's 15th in offense. So let's outscore them. Let's win a game. Come on. It's at home. Please. So who are you picking? I'll stick with my preseason prediction. Villanova wins this game, and I believe Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to bounce back in a big way, only having to deal with Theo John pretty much in terms of height. I know Brendan Bailey is a little bit tall too, but I think Theo John will be on him most of the night. Hit some shots, dude. I believe he will. He has it in him. He's a very talented dude. He is going to hit some big-time shots, mid-range, three-pointers, and he's going to grab the whole boards in the world. And he's going to make Theo John very frustrated, and Hammerhead's going to be on the bench with in foul trouble early. So 
Jeremiah Robinson Earl leads the Villanova Wildcats to victory. Yeah, I'm also thinking Nova takes this one. My player to watch is Jermaine Samuels because it's time to awaken the beast. It's time to awaken the beast inside. Well, I say, well, you mean the past yeah. three games have been pretty big, I would say, and he's been a little quiet. Yeah, but it's Marquette at home. He's gonna feel. He's gonna. He's gonna bring back some memories. Gonna bring back some memories. Eh, eh, true. It was right around this time last year, right? This game. Same yeah, it was. It was around. Feb- yeah, it was mid February. Yeah. Well, yeah. we need a turning point, Chris. We need a turning point. This is we it. Do. This is it. We need a galvanizing moment. This might be it. It's got to be it. It was just like last year when we were going into that Marquette game, the rematch at home, scared out of our minds, and it ended up being okay. It ended up being just fine. Scary, but yes, it ended up being okay. All's well that ends well. The game tomorrow night will be on at 8.30 p.m. Got to cater to the Midwesterners. We'll be on Fox Sports 1. Now, we're not going to have an episode on Thursday, so we weren't going to have a mailbag today because we wanted to jam-pack some previews. So we're going to discuss the Temple game. Chris is going on vacation, get a little head start to the President's Day weekend. So we're going to let him go. We're going to let him go. He's got to hit the slopes. He's got to hit the slopes. Oh, thank you, Eugene. Uh, I'm glad to be uh, spending time with my uh, friends and on the ski slopes, which is something I haven't really done all that much. Love skiing. It's one of my uh, – favorite activities but i haven't done it in about a year and a half so glad to finally get back out there oh i know you you were watching that scene hall game and you you made a couple calls afterwards you're like yeah we're going away we're, we're just gonna leave <laughs> we're just gonna leave the state altogether. we're gonna go to vermont go ski away from civilization well well eugene i gotta watch the temple game obviously i can't i can't just not forget about it oh of course of course because we gotta get that big five title right obviously i mean that's that's what's most important Philadelphia basketball. Hey, hey, we didn't get it last year. We didn't get it last year. I, I will, I'm all about for the uh, put down the big five chatter, this and that, but we didn't win it last year. So once we reclaim it, I'll be like, all right, all right, all right, Chris, you can, you can have your platform again. <laughs> Order is restored. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that Temple is going to disrupt anything, but at the same time, I, I would just like to get that outright title, get that sweep, go back to being 4-0 against the rest of them and be like, all right, cool, cool. All right, yeah, everything's back to normal. Does that mean we get to raise a banner just like Seton Hall is going to raise a banner for their win on Saturday? I'm not going to lie. Every time I go to the Prudential Center and I see that 2016 Big East Tournament banner, I get sad. <laughs> <laughs> but, Eugene, remember what happened after that. That's what matters. That is what matters. That is what matters. Not the Big East Tournament. Just like when my friend that same year was actually on Seton Hall's campus. I don't know why he was there. Actually, I might have to reconsider why he's my friend, if we're being honest. But on the bright side, he did walk around their campus wearing a Villanova 2016 National Championship shirt. So there's that. There's that. So we got the Temple Owls next. Coached by Aaron McKee. First year as the main man after taking over for Fran Dunphy. Started out okay. There were 9-3 and in non-con play. They had a competitive loss against Maryland, but since the American Conference started, oh, man, it's been a completely different story. It's been really rough for them. They're 4-7 and seven so far in conference play. They're 12-11 and 11 overall, just hovering over the 500 mark. They got a game against Tulane tomorrow night, and then they're going to play Villanova. Chris, this Temple team, I got to say, I'm not too concerned, but I don't know what it is. I think it's just once we win that big five title and we sweep everyone again, I'll, I'll feel a lot better about it. I guess you're right. It, it will feel great to win the big five title. 
But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. Temple doesn't concern me all that much. I mean, like you said, once the conference play started for them, it's been an absolute treacherous downfall for them. They did have a win against Wichita State at home, who was ranked 16th at the time. And they're just coming off a win against Southern Methodist this past weekend. They've beaten some okay teams, but it's really not all that impressive, especially offensively. According to Ken Palm, they're 205th and adjusted offense out of a possible 350-something teams. That's not good. But defensively, they're 48th, and that's better than Villanova. And they also like to push the tempo a little bit, ranked uh, 70th right now, and adjust the tempo. So expect a little bit of a uh, high-flying game, yes, but uh, not much offense to be offered. But it does start and end on the offensive end with Quentin Rose. He's been a name I feel like we've been reading off for at least the past eight years. He's averaging 16 points per game, about five boards per game. From the field, though, not exactly the best shooter. 38% from the field overall and 28% from beyond the arc. I mean, that's uh, very inefficient, I would say. And then you also have Nate Pierre-Louis. Obviously, fun last name, but he's also a pretty good basketball player. About 11.5 points per game. Also the leading rebounder, which is shade under eight boards per game. Also shooting about 40% from the field. Also not a great three-point shooter either. Temple as a whole really is not that great of a three-point shooting team. 33% from the on the arc. Not the best. Those are the two guys I'd like to highlight just because they always seem to do well against Villanova, it feels like. Or at least they, they somehow, some way, score a big bucket against them. But this should not be an issue. And if it is, I'm going to be very, very concerned. I would be concerned if Villanova enters this game on Saturday with a four-game losing streak, but I would be even more concerned if this game is a problem. As you mentioned, this Temple team is not a very good offensive team. They struggle. They move at a fast pace, but they can't really convert. I will give it to them on the defensive end, though. As you mentioned, top 50 in the country. They do an excellent job of locking down on the three-point line, holding teams to just shooting 29.7% from deep. They do also a good job of generating turnovers, and a huge part of that is Nate Pierre-Louis. I know he's their leading rebounder. I'd say he's their leading hustle man overall. This guy is just a guard, but he does a little of everything. As you saw, as you mentioned, he's grabbing boards, but he's probably their best defender without question. And I'm expecting him to go right on Colin Gillespie, give him a tough time, put the clamps on him. So I'm going to see – it's going to be interesting to see how Nova is able to get its offense going. Hopefully we're going to see a lot more finished layups inside because uh, it sounds like they're going to be tough in covering the three-point line. So we're going to need some guys to step up. Hopefully Sadiq Bay continues to play well. Jeremiah Robinson Earl can get himself going down low. We'll get some buckets from Samuels or Justin Moore or Swider. But this team is just mostly known for their Philly toughness and defense. So I think that because they won't have the firepower to keep up with Nova, I think Nova should win. But Quinton Rose is definitely a good player. I'm also surprised that he's still there. He's got to be a senior. There's no way. There's just no way. Alani Moore, I know you didn't mention him, but he's probably their one good three-point shooter, so keep an eye out for him. Don't let him, don't let him run around. Yeah, I was going to mention it if you didn't. Uh, if this game were to get close and become a problem, it's probably because he's hitting his shots, shooting about 40% from beyond the arc. So he's, he's pretty good at that. He's probably the one guy on the team that can actually hit from beyond the arc. Chris, who do you have in this game? Give me a margin, too. Um, Villanova by double digits, but I think it's going to be a little closer than we expect. Uh, so maybe like 10, Villanova by 10, 10, 11, 12, something in that range. And I, I think Jermaine Samuels goes off in this game, too. I think he has a nice little field day. Villanova by 18 because Jay Wright's not going to let Nova sleep on a <laughs> chance to sweep the Big Five and get a Big Five crown. 
He's going to leave no stone unturned. Total warfare. Everyone's going off. Everyone's having a day. And I think <clears throat> I think Nova wins this one comfortably by at least 15, 18 or more. So if you're not going to be there this weekend in Philly, it's going to be on, on Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be on ESPN. So, so I hope you got your mute buttons ready because you're going to hear a lot, a lot of negativity. A lot of negativity. And if Dick Vitale's on the game, oh, man. Oh, Duke commentary. Stories about how him and Coach K used to eat chili cheesesteaks at this one spot in 1986. Yeah. You're not too far off from what's actually going to happen if that's the case. I would not be surprised. We're going to have some mispronunciations. They're going to talk about how this, uh, you know, they're probably going to gush over Sadiq Bey and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. But other than that, it's not going to be great. It's not going to be great. Dick Vitale is calling the game, although I'm sure he probably has some Duke or UNC commitment. Um, he will say a lot of good things about Colin Gillespie. So you can at least take a, some solace in that. It'll be like one of those things where, you know how they take the game, and they put it off to the side to like do some interview or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to take the game, put it in the tiny corner, shrink it, and they're going to have <laughs> Dick Vitale with an exclusive one-on-one interview with Zion Williamson. <laughs> yeah, because the Pelicans are probably playing the Sixers that night or something. Yeah, yeah, he'll, yeah. even if it's like – the eighth man off the bench. <laughs> Can't wait to watch. Yeah, it's always good for some rivalry hoops. I'm not going to lie. I was going to say my two worst uh, post-Villanova loss experiences, obviously the first one was Seton Hall my freshman year at The Rock, and that's when I knew that place was not a place I wanted to be. And uh, the second time was after the Nova Temple football game, and we got smacked. I remember that year. It was 2012, and Nova got smacked. But we decided to leave, and when we left, we were on a subway platform, sea of red. It was just a total sea of red. We stuck out like sore thumbs. Everyone wanted to fight us. Everyone was, like, throwing stuff at us. And I was like, wow, I have never had this feeling, but this sucks. So it sounds like your two worst experiences were during your freshman year. Well, and then and then uh, 2016 Big East Tournament. Oh, right, right. Hey, once you got a freshman year out of the way, it wasn't too bad. Also, that was at a time when Temple football still wasn't, like, good yet. They were, like, two years away from being really good, I remember, because that's when Rule took over. But, like, they were still nothing. I don't know why they were all hyped up on a win against a 1AA opponent. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, exactly. It was, like, FCS football. It's, like, you guys were the favorite anyway. Like, come on. Come on. Yeah, it's their one time they can win. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because, you know, they, they could win on the court. At least that's what I, I think I probably said something like that, and then – I'm pretty sure we lost to them on the court. <laughs> Did we lose them for him? Yeah, probably. You instigated them, though. You, 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 you're at sole fault for all this. Oh, I didn't instigate. That was the only one chirp I had. I said, wait till basketball season. Oh, yeah, and then <laughs> I know what happened. <laughs> uh, narrator. Villanova did not win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sitting there as a burger is, like, thrown at my forehead and it's, like, freeze-frame burger bouncing off my forehead. You're probably wondering how I got into this position. <laughs> record scratch yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that's all the time we have for today thank you so much for listening to the state of the nova nation if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast look for view hoops or state of the nova nation and you should be able to find it you can look for it on itunes apple Podcasts, google play spotify megaphone stitcher so many options i'm sure there are many more shout out to sb nation for handling all that please be sure to check back the website at viewhoops.com always pumping out content Brandon's back on the Risen, so you already know you're getting your nice daily column with some links. Please follow VU Hoops on social media, at VU Hoops. That's good for Instagram and Twitter. 
Also, like our page on Facebook. Chris, I hope you enjoy your weekend on the slopes. I'm pretty jealous. I'm not going to lie. Eugene, thank you. I wish, honestly, I wish you were coming with us. I, I really do. But it's okay, Chris. Just know that while you are having a good time drinking hot chocolate, I'm probably uh, in a 5,000-degree gymnasium. But seriously, I wish you were coming with us, but obviously duty calls for work. That's what happens when you're the new guy. You just get thrown on all the things that no one else wants to do. And we were a little short-staffed because two guys randomly quit. And because of that, they're like, oh, man, Eugene, I know we originally had you doing this, but we're going to need you to cover high school wrestling now. But it's okay. At least it let me write a cool story on the Toppin Brothers at Dayton and Rhode Island, which was pretty cool. That was a pretty fun story to write. Still get to do some college hoops. But, yeah, I'm going to be doing some wrestling. Although I, I guess I should appreciate it more because there are – I didn't realize this, but there it's like a huge hotbed for D1 wrestling. I guess it's because we didn't have wrestling at Nova that, like, we probably no. wouldn't appreciate it. But, no. yeah. I was like, oh, wow, all these guys are going to, like, all these, like, top wrestling programs around the country. And here I am just – being a fathead. <laughs> <laughs> I guess guess you learn something new every day. Good, well, good luck this weekend. Nova Nation, that's it for me. I'm Eugene Repay. Please follow me on Twitter at eRepay5. I'm Chris Tanziel. I got nothing. Follow your game, follow the pod, and follow the viewers. We'll be back at it next Tuesday. Hopefully, we bounce back tomorrow night and get this dub on Sunday and be back on top of Philadelphia. <laughs>